Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. KDE PIM, we've talked about this before. It is the personal information management subsystem for the KDE Plasma desktop. I don't want to go too far into it because as I've said, we have actually talked about this before with contact or Kmail or, or whatever we've covered. But what did we cover anyway? It must not have been either of those because neither of both of those are not before KDE PIM. But we, we I talked about it at some point that that there's a PIM subsystem, maybe it was an Akinati or something, and and it drives the contacts and the calendar. Oh, that that's what we talked about it with is the K calendar uh, add-ons or something. But um, that's what KDE PIM is, and so applications that would expect to have a list of contacts or email email addresses and and addresses and v cards or identity cards for for contacts and calendar appointments and all of those kinds of um personal information i guess is is handled by kde pim the the pim suite and and broadly speaking that's that that can all be viewed from the contact application k-o-n-t-a-c-t contact that contains modules for i guess Kind of like KCM, but not really. I guess probably K parts, maybe, um, for K mail and w- whatever the calendar applications called, and the journal and the K notes and all those little applications. They're all within Contact. Now you can launch them separately as well, but I, I kind of tend to, out of force of habit, I, I tend to launch them with with Contact, even though I, I actually don't use all of the applications within Contact. I would say my the one that I use most heavily is Kmail. And anyway, um, KDE PIM dash add-ons is the next package in a list after KDN Live, which we spoke about the end of the previous episode. KDE PIM add-ons are, as the name suggests, add-ons for this PIM suite, which would include things like antivirus uh, scripts. So there are four scripts in the in user bin. One is kmail underscore antivir, antivir dot sh, kmail underscore clamav dot sh, and then there's fprot and sav. So the antivirus uh, one is, it, it triggers a, a response, to, well, it triggers a scan and then a, an, a, a response accordingly to an antivirus um, processing of of mail. ClamAV is similar. ClamAV is an open source antivirus application, and if you have that installed, in theory, Kmail can leverage it to scan all of your your messages. I haven't actually put that to the test. I should. I really kind of should. It would be kind of interesting to see, but um, personally, I I have not. Uh, The third one is uh, Kmail uh, underscore fprot, which I I don't know what that is, fprot. That doesn't ring a bell. I mean, ClamAV is easy. Antivir... I don't exactly know what that is either. I mean, it's something having to do with antivirus. I don't know what it's looking for, though. And fprot, I have no idea what it's looking for either. If you look at the script, it's it's kind of uh, the same kind of stuff with antivirus, but then it uh, looks 
in the item, like the, the, the mail message, I think, and it's echoing, it's looking for X virus flag, and if no, then it modifies, it looks like, the description of something, maybe a, a, a warning, probably. So I don't, I've never seen that, so it's, it's hard for me to sort of visualize what exactly it's doing, but uh, it, it's definitely re- reacting to some kind of, you know, antivirus flag. Same goes for kmail underscore sav, S-A-V. It is looking at um, a, a message. It scans for X virus flag, X virus flag, yes or no, and it does something based on that. It casts the temporary file and then removes the temporary file. So yeah, I'm not exactly sure what that's doing either, but those are utilitarian scripts for that, that Kmail directly uses apparently. Uh, so th- that's the add-ons, and then it, 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 with with the add-ons, there's a bunch of libraries as well with fairly descriptive names that we could probably guess fairly accurately what they do. Things like lib expire account trash folder config and lib folder configure settings, and lib grammar common, and so on. So there, there are obvious, obviously there are libraries here to help add features to, really it feels kind of like specifically for Kmail, even though it is just called KDE PIM add-ons, looks to me at a, you know, at a sort of a cursory glance that most of it would apply to Kmail. Next one is KDE PIM-runtime, which uh, which contains, I mean, the, the name of it kind of betrays what it might contain, and, and as as often is the case, it's it's pretty accurate. But the, these are executables, so there's like, uh, I don't know, t- t- uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 20, let's call it 20 executables in user bin in this package, uh, and a bunch of other files, which I guess, yeah, some some uh, libraries, and some .desktop files. And these are all, like, the, these are the resources, is what they're, they, they call themselves, for for the different components of KDE PIM. So here's what its own description says of itself. The KDE PIM project aims to bring together those who wish to help design, implement, test, etc., anything that's to do with personal information management. This rather broad scope encompasses mail clients, address books, Usenet news, scheduling, and even sticky notes. Mm, that's actually a description of the KDE, KDE PIM project. I didn't realize that. I read the second part without reading the first, and, and I thought that it was talking about these resources. Either way, these resources are executables that something launches in order to achieve tasks. So there are things like Akinati underscore birthdays underscore resource, Akinati underscore Google resource, Akinati underscore iCal underscore resource, um, Akinati underscore iCalDir resource, IMAP resource, and so on, K-Alarm, and so on. So these, you can imagine, might be getting called by into some shell of an application by either a .desktop file or by an application itself. Uh, so you don't really, I don't think you would you would launch these directly yourself, but they're here for other applications uh, and 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 components on your desktop to be able to use. Now, interestingly, these desktop files have entries uh, for what what I believe are non-standard entries for a .desktop file. And I, I can't find the documentation that explains why these... It's refusing to open because I forgot to tell it to open in a text editor. Why these .desktop files have, for instance, 
an entry. N- normally, it's a you know the, the entry is square bracket desktop space entry close square bracket. This one has that, and then at the bottom it has square bracket wizard close square bracket type equals message slash in in this case RFC eight twenty two script equals pop three wizard dot es. Is that a thing? Yeah, that's a thing here. Um, I guess I could open that just for for. Uh, curiosity's sake. Um, yeah, so there's, okay, so that's another, yeah, so there's, there's stuff here that I'm, I'm not familiar with, um, and, and I mean, presumably, presumably it is a KDE specific thing, and again, I, I think it must be getting used by some other KDE subsystem, but it's a little bit beyond me as to how that is exactly working. I would be curious if anyone knew more about that information, about that, um, about that particular, uh, subsystem, because I just, I've never seen anything quite like that before. I don't understand what's calling it and how it's getting used. So that would be, I would be interested in, in hearing more about that, if anyone happens to know. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's an Akinati thing, because all of those all of those executables that it's that they're referring to are Akinati underscore something. So it must be an Akinati thing. I guess I could probably look through the docs on Akinati specifically. I was looking for documentation on on, on the dot desktop specification and I could not find anything there. Okay. So uh next up is KDE Plasma add-ons. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, KDE Plasma dash add-ons. These are visual add-ons, as you can imagine, for your graphical desktop. There are things in user lib64 cute5 plugins and they include rather rather significant um components really like krunner. I, I don't know if you use krunner. I use krunner all the time. I think it's krunner that I use. It's the thing that pops up the search bar. Uh, I think by default the maybe possibly it's is it alt f2 is the or is that the default just in Fluxbox. I don't know. Whatever it is, there's a runner thing, a little search box that you can just sort of, uh, you can demand to have opened for you on your desktop. And I think that's called KRunner. That's what I've always called it. Um, I've had to, yes, it is. Okay. I've had to second guess a lot of my assumptions about the desktop because I feel like some of the early terms I used about KDE, I learned about KDE were in the end a little bit wrong. Um, but anyway, that's, that's KRunner. That's, that's included in here. So that's huge. I mean, to, to imagine that that's considered an add-on for me is just kind of mind boggling because it just doesn't feel like that's an add-on. There's the, um, the, the comic strip viewer widget, Plasmoid really, uh, for your desktop. If you subscribe to a web comic, you can subscribe to it in this comic viewer and get web comics on your desktop. I've never used it. I've just seen that it's been there for as long as I can remember. There's a plugin to get astronomical event data in your calendar, which I've used before and I quite enjoy. There there was a, a moon phase widget for a while. Maybe there still is. And, and I really liked that one. And the only problem with it was that I never see my desktop. You know, you just don't see your desktop. That's the, that's the the thing that you realize eventually is that you just don't see your desktop. I've been longing for a while for a thing, and I don't even know, you know, it it, it may be misguided, but I, I wanted for a very long time a thing that would implant or embed 
a terminal prompt in your desktop background. So it's like in the in the in the window that is your desktop, just have a terminal. And because I thought, well, then you could just switch to that place, whatever it would be. It could be a workspace. It could be a, a whatever. And you and you'd have a terminal prompt, but you'd also have around it all those little widgets that you added to your desktop, all the little plasmoids. So you could actually see your desktop on occasion. Um, and, and now that I think about that, I, I don't know if that would be useful because half the time I just have a terminal floating over another window for reference or something like that. So I, I don't know how useful that is. But anyway, I never see my desktop is the, the point of it, which makes other things like picture of the day plugins or, or plasmoids, whatever, um, kind of useless for me as well. But there is one here, a picture of the day, and, and it's got a bunch of libraries that define providers like Flickr and um, and uh, National Geographic and NOAA, which is the national, um, I should know this, the NOAA, it's like the National Weather Service or something, uh, Unsplash and, and others. Uh, and, and it just goes on and on. I mean, the color picker, K color picker. I mean, that's huge for me. I think I've mentioned this before. Having a color picker on my desktop was one of the selling points for Linux for me. It was just one of those things that I used to use all the time and frankly still do. It is just so useful to have a little color picker right up there in the top right corner of my desktop. I can click on it. I can point it at any color that I see on my screen and get the value, the RGB, well, technically RGBA value, the HTML or the hex uh, value and so on. So I just, I love that. I mean, really one of the, one of the main reasons I use Linux, honestly, if, if it like came down to, to just listing the practical things that, that make me love Linux, that's one of them, a color picker, a dictionary, disk quota monitors, some puzzles and so on. It just goes on and on. I mean, there's, this is just, this is an unassuming and yet really, really vitally important for me a package that you just, you know, you don't really think of them necessarily as add-ons. You just think of them as part of what KDE is. And I mean, it's just a package, you know, they, they could have easily put these things in a package called KDE Plasma and, and then they would have been there, but they're technically add-ons. And so that's where they got put. Whether or not you emotionally consider them add-ons is, is up to you. I do not. I, I don't think of these as add-ons. Most m many of these, not all of them, comic book viewer, comic strip viewer, I, I could live without, um, and and apparently I could live without the astronomical data as well because I never see it. Uh, although actually, I should I should point out there are two different things because there's um, I think I think there's a, a calendar plugin where you can put astronomical data into the calendar itself. Yeah, here it is. Astronomical events. So if you go into your into your calendar up here and and you tell it uh, wherever your clock is, you right click on that and go to um, adjust adjust date and time. I guess is that what I just went into or configure configure digital clock. Well, now I'm doubting myself. No, okay, I clicked on it and then I clicked on the um, the configure digital clock button. Okay, so it is digital clock. Uh, and then go to calendar and then click astronomical events on. Now you can also do that for holidays. Um, I've had mixed luck with that because my holiday schedule personally is all turned around. I, I have half, you know, sort of American holidays that I that I think of, but then I actually live in New Zealand. So 
really there are New Zealand holidays, and it just gets very confusing. Uh, there's a PIM events plugin that you can turn on in your calendar. I'm turning on the astronomical events myself, and then I'll click on here, and then I've got little dots under some days, and if I click on those days over on the left, it shows me what that event is. So for instance, on the 13th of July, there's going to be a full moon. On the 20th, there's a last quarter moon. On the 28th, there is a new moon. On the 5th of August, there's a first quarter moon, and so on. So you get information like that now in the calendar. So there's that, and then I was also, to confuse matters, I was actually talking about, I'm also talking about a a plasmoid that you can add to your desktop that used to exist, and I haven't checked recently if it still exists, that just showed you like a big picture of the moon and told you what phase it was in, and it was quite nice. But like I said, I never see my desktop, so I stopped using it. But this calendar event one, I like it. I, I, I'll, I'll keep that in there. Okay, so that's KDE Plasma add-ons. Whether you consider them add-ons or essentials is up to you, but they're really great little extra things to have, and um, I'm not going to complain about that. Okay, next package in the list is KDE SDK. Oh, that's wrong. Uh, KDE SDK SDK. Um, and then I think it was, yeah, KIO Slaves. And this is a library set that, or is it a Perl script? No, not a Perl script, surely. Where's the library? Oh, there it is. No, that's not it either. I don't know where this is. Um, what is this? So this is a package containing KIO slaves for KDE SDK. Oh, okay. So no, I don't know where this is. This looks to me like a bunch of translation files, and that is it. I see no actual... I see nothing here that's useful. Um, this is really weird. There's a plugin for perldoc.so, but surely that's is this this that's it. Oh, that's it. Okay, k okay, got it, got it. Kio underscore perldoc. That is a. Um, in fact, we could even look at this Perl script because it because it'll um, it'll tell us about itself just by virtue of the fact that it's in Perl. This is code adapted from Pod colon colon html easy for kio underscore Perl doc um ccpan for the real deal and so on so this is a convert a converter um sort of function that helps translate Perl docs into i guess probably html or maybe vice versa i don't know but um i mean it's well commented so i could take the time to sit to sit and read it but i'm, I mean, I'm not going to use it so um yeah this is a converter script um or a, a conversion kio slave really which would be quite useful uh, kio slaves remember are those things in for instance dolphin that add nice little extra functionalities in context menus and things like that. So I can imagine if you're developing for KDE and you've got a folder full of Perl docs or something like that, and you think, well, what I really need to do is translate all of this into an HTML thing so I can put it into the KDE help system or whatever. I, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit making stuff up here because I, I've never gone through this process myself. Maybe it's the exact obvious, may, opposite. Maybe you're the developer and you've written stuff into HTML and said, oh, I need it in the Perl doc or something. I don't know. However it works, it is a instant kind of right-click and select a thing 
um, process as KIO slaves are, and they're really, really useful. I've talked about KIO slaves before, the KIO system. It's one of the sort of big, big features of KDE, I think. Um, I think for a lot of people it is, actually, because it's just one of those things that makes everything seem so transparent and easy. Uh, the, the really, really obvious one, which I've mentioned before, but I'll, I'll give it again here just in case you missed it, is the KIO um, for audio CDs. I, I don't know what it would be called, but like the plug-in for audio CDs. You put an audio CD into your into your computer, and KDE pretends like it, or, or KDE can can do many things, and one of the things that it can do is it gives you a file listing of that audio CD. Now, if you know anything about the audio CD spec, you know that that's not how audio CDs work. They're not just a bunch of files on a disc. I mean, I guess you could argue that they were, but they're not. I mean, they're not files on disc. It's a bunch of sound data on a on a media. And, I mean, sure, an MP3 disc would be a bunch of files on a CD, but an audio CD is a different specification, but K- KDE knows that, and it can look at that audio data, and it it looks at track tr- track breaks and things like that, and it translates it all into a representation of hey, what would happen if you just wanted track three in a in a in any number of formats? Well, to get track three off of an audio CD in KDE, all you have to do is open the CD as if though it was a a directory, which again, it is not, and drag the track3.flac file or or track3.og or whatever format you need it in over to your your own directory, and it will quote-unquote copy that quote-unquote file over to your hard drive. Now what it's really doing is it's it's taking your prompt. It says, okay, this person wants track3. Well, I know where track3 is located. I know where it starts and I know where it ends. So what I'll do is when I'm quote-unquote copying it to their file system, I will actually rip that track into the format desired and then put it onto the hard drive. Very, very clever, and and it's it's all possible because of this sort of invisible subsystem called KIO. This is obviously a KIO feature aimed at developers, which is why it would be in the KDE SDK category. And, uh, yeah, that seems really awfully pretty handy. All right, let's look at um, another KDE SDK package. This one is uh, Thumbnailer, SDK, KDE SDK-Thumbnailers. And this is really, really cool. I mean, just, I mean, I don't know, you know, again, I'll never see it, but it, it's really, really amazing. So what it is, is it's a thumbnailer, you know, like a thing that generates a small icon f- based on the contents of the file. And that's 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 typical enough. We've got lots of thumbnailers. We've already talked about some thumbnailers in, in previous episodes within this KDE package. This one specifically, though, looks at PO files, so at the translation files for a project. And instead of giving you a, a, um, a, a thumbnail of, for instance, the actual text in the file, it gives you a pie chart of how translated your project is. And and so you can see at a glance how how well translated y- your your translatable, you know, your your doc string, um your, your the files for your your translation files are are co- you can see the coverage. Uh, if you see a full green circle, I think uh, you're good to go. If you see some red and yellow and blue and things like that, then you're not you're not so great. You're you're not you're not covered as much as you you would want. Yeah, green is translated, blue is fuzzy, 
red is untranslated, and then yellow is obsolete. So it gives you an instant visual overview of your .po files, and and that's just such a such a pragmatic and clever little system. Something that you won't probably care about unless you are developing KDE, or I guess maybe you're researching KDE to see how well translated it is or something. But generally, I think most of us who aren't maybe using .po files all the time, probably not going to really see that very often. But I think it's a that's a really cool one that you just don't really think about all that much. But obviously, really, really useful to somebody out there, um, to, to a lot of people out there. Okay, next up are the KD, uh, nope, K-Designer plugins. It looks like KDE Signer plugins, but it's probably K-Designer. Um, these are, this is a package that contains the framework uh, providing a utility that is K-Gen Designer plugin that can be used to generate plugins for Qt Designer from INI style description files. I've not used this before, but um, I, I I kind of get I think how powerful it could be, and it kind of makes me want to try it because it's it's I I did not know this was a thing, but there is an application called Cute Designer. I don't actually know whether that comes with Slackware or whether that's something I have installed myself separately. I feel like it's probably something separate. Cute five. No, I think this, yeah, this came with Slackware. Okay, cool. So I, I assume that's where this designer thing comes from. Let's look really quick. Less, and then look for designer. I don't know. Undetermined. Not enough data. There's too many files in here for me to bother. Either way, there's an application called Cute Designer. It's either installed on Slackware or it comes as a part of Cute Creator, maybe. Do I have Cute Creator installed? You'd think that would have come up. Creator cute creator space no i don't so i think it's gotta have just been installed with slackware um and cute designer is the ui designer for for your your cute code for your c code using cute libraries this is um the the way that you could visually design a user interface and, and it's weird to say visually design a user interface surely that's how you design user interfaces well not necessarily you don't have to do it visually you can just kind of like calculate it all in your code and position things. I mean, something's got to calculate positions. Cute, good, cute designer will do it for you. Um, and, and you can just drag buttons around and position them where you want. Of course, you need to kind of keep in mind that, that, that what you're designing for could be on any number of any sizes of screens and so on. And I mean, honestly, I just kind of wish all GUI applications just used CSS. I just wish that was like the unified language for UI design. I I don't know the the ramifications of that. I mean, Qt actually does incorporate a lot of CSS. You can you can change dynamically even, well maybe not dynamically at launch time. You can change certain attributes of a Qt application. So, it is visual attributes. So, it's it's in there, but it's it's not everything and most programming frameworks that I've come across have used kind of a weird sort of spring box method um, and, and some, or, or, or a table layout method. And sometimes you can choose between the two. I think usually you can choose between the two. It seems antiquated to me, but I'm assuming they're all using it. So I, I guess there must be a reason. I would be curious as to whether that reason was just technical debt 
or whether it was th- there's an actual good reason for doing that. Um, either way, you have to keep that in mind when you're designing in in QDesigner or anything else that things could get resized, rescaled. Uh, they could be on different sizes of screens, and so you do have to take that into an into account. It can be difficult, but Cute Designer kind of tries to make that somewhat tolerable and and you know certainly more visual. Now, this KDE framework component, the K Designer plugin, is built for developers who have created their own widgets that Cute Creator wouldn't wouldn't know about. So if you want to get your widget, your new newly designed widget into Cute Designer, you you need to 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 integrate that. You need to come up with a bunch of boilerplate code and 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 um, component files that 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 integrate into Cute Designer. And this K Designer plugin helps you do that by simply you, you create an INI style file. So that's one of those files where it's like square bracket foo close square bracket. And then a description of your widget. And by description, I mean key and value pairs that Cute Designer would recognize and be able to, to to translate into something. So the man page for KDesigner plugin, for instance, says something like, um, here's one, square bracket global, close square bracket, plugin name equals foo widgets, default group equals display. Now in Cute Designer, on the left, or at least by default on the left, there's a widget box with all the widgets that are displayed. Of course, by default, again, they're the ones that Cute knows about. You, you're, you would be in this scenario working on something that Cute doesn't know about, and you, you'd want to get it into this list. The place that this would now, the place where your new foo widget would appear would be in the display widgets category in the widget box. Currently, display widgets has things like label, coming from Q label, text browser, I don't know what that is, graphics view, calendar widget, LCD number, progress bar, horizontal line, vertical line, and so on. And so this is a display now. This would be a foo widgets would show up there as well. And then square bracket foo, close square bracket, tooltip equals displays bears, B-E-A-R-S, as in the animal. And then the what's this, which um, is a prompt that you get in somewhere. I don't know actually where that is. Um, is it? I don't, I don't see that anywhere. I don't know where that comes up. I mean, I, I know the what's this convention. I just don't know where you see it in cute designer in, yeah, cute designer could be, could be in the property editor. What's this? There it is. Um, so in what's this, you could have, for instance, uh, the, an image widget that displays dancing bears and then square bracket bar tooltip equals bar editor. What's this? An editor interface for bars for bears group equals editing. So editing would be another, um, category within the widget box. I don't see it off the top of my head, but it would be there. Uh, and then you could of course grab the, is there a filter? Yes, there is edit. There we go. Uh, there's the editing, or actually it's labeled input here. Is there not an editing category? Maybe not. Anyway, there'd be a category here, and you could drag that widget into your the interface that you're designing and click on that widget, and then your properties editor widget on the right would show all the different properties for that. And once again, you could just type in the property that you're looking for, because there's a lot of different properties. Um, but all of those properties would be would be brought into your widget along with, you know, b- b- based on your INI file that you've defined. So 
that's what that's what the idea is here. And then the the part that's I guess the hard part, which would be getting that widget into Cute Designer. I mean, that's that's what this add-on is for. That's what this helps you do. It it takes that all that INI data that you provide and it does the boilerplate stuff and it does the the the, the laborious code that Cute Designer requires in order to recognize sort of an, an additional widget set. So very, very useful, I'm sure. Uh, again, I've never done it before. I might have gotten some of the details uh, a little bit off, but that's that's the general idea from what I can tell of the man page and just kind of having messed around with Cute Designer in the past. All right. Next and finally, KDESU. KDESU is an indispensable application. It is the application, it's the graphical version of the sudo command. You know what? We should take a coffee break because this is a big topic. I want to talk about it thoroughly. So let's take a coffee break now. We'll come back. We'll take some listener email and talk about KDESU. coffee this is still uh what is it bomber coffee um i found i found a little trading card that came along with the coffee and i've already misplaced it it was no here it is it's a little um sort of a, a business card sized card with a picture of coffee on it and it's got all the sort of the data about the coffee it's pretty great um it really makes you want to see more of of those, you know, and kind of like maybe have a, a whole trading card game just based on coffee. That would be fun. Um, not not everyone knows that. Um, games like card games that are trading card games, you know, like Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, um, Yu-Gi-Oh, all those other ones. Those, those were, I mean, Magic the Gathering having been the first, but those were kind of, um, those were, re- those are a little bit unique and they're based on an older tradition of trading cards which what is a trading card it's it's like you know baseball cards and things like that and then even before that there were there were little art cards that would come in cigarette boxes and things like that saw at a museum recently um so there's these you know just these these card prints that people would 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 create and and either package with other things or sell on their own and people would collect them uh, because humans like to gather data, or some humans like to gather data, and and you would have a bunch of trading cards, and then someone came up with the idea, well, what if we could make those useful in some kind of game? And that was Magic Gathering, and, and then a whole tradition of, of a, a, a very specific style of game was created. It's fascinating stuff. Um, and, and it kind of makes you realize, you know, like if you put data on a thing, quantifiable data on a thing, then you could theoretically make a game out of it because then it just comes down. I mean, all the game is, you know, you're just comparing data. So you, you look at one coffee card and you think, okay, well, that's more acidic than this one. So I guess you'll take one point of acid damage from my coffee or, you know, whatever. I don't know. You, you could probably come up with something a lot more interesting than that. But anyway, it was it was funny that they included like a little card with the coffee as if though, you know, you need to know all the 
all the specifics. I mean, and you don't need to know, but I guess some people might like knowing. It certainly was was a nice read, you know, in the morning uh, when you're sipping your coffee. You look at it, think about what you're drinking. So I got some email here uh, from Izzy, and you you might recognize that name. I, do, I recognize that name. I think I've read an email from Izzy before. Uh, anyway, uh, Izzy says, I just listened to GNU World Order 467 about, among other things, Cadian Live, and I thought you might like this story. I have a very large family, six siblings, two siblings-in-laws, two parents, and seven nibblings. I don't know what a nibbling is. I don't. That's a new term for me. Um, and one of the collective is my niece, who is about 10 years old when this story takes place. At her school, she is given uh, an a very open-ended project assignment. Find a person who knows a thing and get them to teach you a skill that you can present to the class. I mean, what a great assignment, first of all. that This is Clatu again. What a fantastic assignment. I mean, that's just such a cool, yes, open-ended, but just, I mean, what a great, I mean, that's that's exactly what you're supposed to do in life, really. I mean, like, you have to go learn something. And, and one of the best ways is to approach someone who knows it and then ask them to teach it to you. That is such a great assignment. Okay, back to Izzy. Since I am kind of the person in my family that is known for knowing things, she ended up asking me, and after careful consideration of the options, I decided to teach her video editing with Katie and Live. I don't know how odd that looks from an outside perspective, teaching a 10-year-old how to make movies, but my family has a lot of amateur uh, two academic level actors, directors, etc. in it, so it seemed like almost the natural thing. Did I mention that she only had two weeks to do the assignment? Uh, anyway, fast forward two weeks, and my niece has, without admittedly some instructions from me and some acting and camera help from some of the rest of my family, written, directed, shot, green screened, rotoscoped, edited, and rendered a five to six minute long mini movie using only Katie and Live and Creative Commons B-roll backgrounds and audio. She even stayed up late one night making the credits so that she was sure to attribute uh, to, to attribute all of the to attribute. No, I said it correctly the first time. To attribute all of the images. Uh, needless to say, she got an A on the assignment and also learned and absorbed a lot about nonlinear video editing, Linux, open source, and Creative Commons. Um, that is a very, very cool um, story, actually. Uh, he does give a PS here. He says, since Cadian Live, I believe, stands for Cool Desktop Environment Non-Linear Video Editing, the, quote, proper, unquote, way to, to, to uh, it should be pronounced. Uh, let me see if I can get this right. Probably not. Um, K-D-E-N-L-I-V-E. K-D-E-N-L-I-V-E. Uh, which, he, which he says, which I think everyone can agree is the worst way to pronounce it, and so I will be doing so in the future indefinitely. Please don't, Izzy. Please. Um, yeah, that's that's a cool story, really cool story. And uh, I, I mean, I think that's exactly, this is exactly sort of, th- this is the open source argument in a, in a weird way. I mean, like, people say, oh, is Cadian Live enough like, I don't know, Sony Vegas or or Adobe Premiere or, or whatever they're, Whatever their um, the the center of their barometer is, 
uh, I don't know if a barometer has a center, but w- whatever their norm is, they, they have to compare the, the quote-unquote open source alternative to that. And, and, and the answer to that is always, well, not really. And, and that's going to be true for every single open source application out there because no one in their right mind is going to go to all the trouble to write an open, to, to write an application only to duplicate someone else's poor choices. And, and they're all poor choices because th- that's, that's how we feel about things that someone else has, has done. So Cadian Live is going to be different. It's going to be unique, but it's only quote unquote different if there is something to base it on. So this 10 year old kid who has now made a movie with Cadian Live for at least some portion of her life, the, 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 the point of reference is going to be Cadian Live. Is that application, is Sony Vegas enough like Cadian Live for me to use it? Is is Adobe Premiere enough like Cadian Live for me to use it? And so on. And hopefully she she judges, no, not really, no, not really, and just keeps using Cadian Live because it's a great application. Um, but, th- th- you know, that's it's such a, a funny kind of reality that so many of us don't really get to see because there's a lot of influences on people of, of where their their expectations are set to something else. And, and, and they don't get to the open source stuff until until later. And it is interesting, even like in my own life, when I've when I've come to something for the first time through open source, like programming, I I have no experience with non open source programming. I don't know what that looks like. I, I had a glance of it um, once. I, I I took a look for for a job. There were there were some things that 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 had I pursued that particular route, I could have done some, I guess, non open source programming, and it looked pretty miserable. And and I mean, granted, it it probably you know wasn't as miserable as it looked. Um, it was just it was a question of finding the right libraries, which you couldn't just find anywhere. Of course, they were closed source, so you had to get them from a, a specific place. And you you know if you weren't doing it for the job, then you would have to pay for that, and so on. And it was definitely different enough that I, I, it was very clear to me that that was not the I, what I would think was the optimal way. And I don't know. Maybe there's someone out there for whom that is so normal, and the idea that having access to all the libraries that you could ever want for free would would be a, a horrible way to live their programming life. I mean, that maybe this is a bad example because programming is kind of I don't know. Is it is it it's obvious, right, that open source programming is better, is it? I don't know. It feels obvious to me. Um, but there are other things. There are other applications out there. And as I've said when I was talking about KDN Live, I think the well, – well, first, I mean, as I've said today, the introduction matters. Like when in your life you 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 get your initial training on what something's quote-unquote supposed to be like, that makes a big difference on your perceptions going forward. But the, the other thing, which I mentioned last week, I'm pretty sure, KDN Live, you know, in, in any – any uh, open source application compared to proprietary application, the big question that's going to really matter is do you have a way to integrate the two? Like the output of one and the input of the other. That's the that's the thing that will make or break everything. If you're, you're happily using KDN Live in a professional setting, the minute someone says, okay, well, let me send you over a .foo file – and you say, whoa, 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 what's a .foo file? And they say, oh, it's the, you know, it's the special, it's the, it's the file that gets output when I uh, move the widget A over to widget B and do an export to, um, to, to, to be able to do the thing. You think, I've never heard of this before. You're like, just give me a normal, like, file. And, and, 
and if there's a normal version of a .foo file, then that's great. That's fine. Maybe it's just a uh, an image sequence of um, open EXR images. Great. Perfect. Give me that. That I can import. But if you wrap it up in a proprietary uh, format called .foo, then yeah, I can't use it. But maybe there's not. Maybe there's no equivalent. Maybe it's some kind of thing that has so much closed source extra add-on stuff that it just breaks down. Now there are Within video editing, I think I might have mentioned this before, there are absolutely, um, uh, there are movements and, and efforts being made to really bring a lot of standardization to, to the platforms. Uh, you can look at where they're at, at VFX, as in visual FX, vfxplatform.com. This is a working group that uh, has a bunch of different people at a bunch of different studios, Sony and Disney and and ILM and, and all the rest. Um, there, there are a bunch of uh, people at a bunch of different studios coming together to sort of say, okay, well, what are we going to standardize on? Let's just Let's just define what we are using right now, and that way we can all at least kind of coordinate our efforts. And that's why when ILM, Friends Industrial Light and Magic, comes out with a new uh, open source library or otherwise, um, frequently this deals with open source though, that's why uh, Sony can adopt it and use it in their in in, in their um, work, or or that's why you know, a studio using both ILM and uh, Disney for, or I don't know if you'd use both ILM or Di- and Disney, but ILM and, and I don't know, some other effects house for your, your work, that's why you could use, you know, the same, you could use both of those, those two entities and still, and still have the output of one application actually be accepted by the input of, of some other application. So there, there is a degree of standardization attempting to be created within the, certainly the, the video editing space specifically since we're talking about KDN Live. But obviously if you swap out KDN Live for something else, then there could be a new set of problems. And indeed, I don't mean to say that vfxplatform.com has alleviated all the problems. I mean, there are still a lot of things that just aren't playing nice with standardization and it requires a bunch of conversion and, and translation and things like that. And it's just, uh, it, it just wastes people time, people's times, to be honest, is what it was, was what it ends up doing. Because if you have a, a plugin designed to, um, I don't know, um, cast a fake light onto an object, but that object needs to be rendered in a certain uh, format, and and you and for the life of you, you can't get that format out of your closed source modeling application. Then someone's going to have to sit down and deconstruct the the output of the one and trans literally translate it, like translate the the points in space to something else, and then export that into Open Collada or whatever, and then import that into the other thing. So it's it can be ugly and it can, it is a waste of people's times and hopefully the more um pressure people put on the the closed source companies the, the better that will become um but yeah it's it's a little bit messy still but there there there's there's efforts being made which which is good i mean that's at least something uh, so anyway great story izzy thank you for very much and and uh, sounds amazing for a kid to be able to have that experience um as a side note, you know, like I have very much found that if you want to find the 
the bugs in an application, sit an eight-year-old child down in front of it and have them use it. They will, they will, they can make it crash. Trust me. I mean, you, you can't watch. You'll just have to turn your back and then through magic, they will make the thing crash. Um, and then it's up to you, I guess, to try to reproduce that because it, it is difficult. But yeah, that that's the stress test right there. Children in front of a computer, they will make things crash that you've never seen crash before. Okay, now let's talk about KDSU a little bit because this is an important application. So when you do, for instance, an SU, which is, uh, I guess, what does it keep telling me that it is? It's change user ID or become super user. So that's what SU is. I guess, I guess it's, I guess calling it super user command would be appropriate. So when you do SU and you enter your, your big, root password, the, the, the root root password. And this is obviously in Slackware because a lot of um, distributions don't even enable you to switch to root user anymore, which I think there's a really great argument for. I think I've covered that before in the pseudo uh, when we were talking about pseudo, I think. Um, did I? I should have. I meant to. Or did I even talk about pseudo yet? Maybe I haven't even talked about pseudo. Yeah, I did pseudo. Okay. So that's episode uh, three, 386. So um, I've talked about that a little bit. When you do SU, you become root, meaning that your user environment is no longer sort of valid. So for instance, let's let's do, um, as, as Clatu, I'm going to do echo dollar sign foo. Nothing. Foo isn't set. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, echo, I'll do foo equals hello. Now I'll echo dollar sign foo, and it says hello. Okay, so now I'm going to even go so far as to say export dollar sign foo. So now this shell session has dollar sign foo assigned to it. Now I'm going to type in su and type in my big root password and then do echo dollar sign foo and nothing is returned. And I could say uh, export foo equals world. Now if I echo dollar sign foo, I have world. And I'm going to exit again. So now I'm back to clat2. I'm going to say echo foo, and it says hello. So you get the idea. That's SU. You, you're becoming something else. You're, you are becoming a different user. And the the environment, the whole environment of your other user just isn't in effect when you become root, when you, when you switch users. So KDSU can kind of help you run an app processes as the root user without also well without having you um leave your current your your desktop environment so in other words when your desktop you know the the desktop that you see on your screen that's part of your user environment that's 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 your desktop someone else could theoretically be on the same computer using a different desktop you wouldn't see it but they would see it on their screen they would be routing it over to their display but this desktop is your desktop so if you do something as root you can't do that on this screen you would need to maybe switch to a different screen and and log in as root and sort of get get that monitor that physical monitor assigned a a pixelated, a pixel light driven desktop. But sometimes you need to run something as root within your normal desktop. That would be running an application sort of as an admin with administrative privileges. You can do that. And the way that you can do that is with KDESU. So if you do KDESU, for instance, Dolphin, and then enter your password as prompted, then you get 
a dolphin window, but it'll look a little bit different than normal, probably, uh, particularly because that's not your user environment. This is the root uh, home directory that you probably don't recognize. Uh, and the configuration will probably be different than what you're used to because that's like the default Katie or uh, the de default um, Dolphin configuration, presumably. I don't really know what this is, uh, and so on. But that that is a, a, a KDE SU. That's the root implementation of that of, of Dolphin, and and that's useful because sometimes you'll you'll want to maybe go into a folder, maybe a system level folder, and be able to do things there with, with root privileges. Maybe you need that. Um, maybe not, I don't know. Or maybe you can and then just be prompted for permission to do something, or maybe you can just do it in the terminal, whatever. But flexibility is nice, and that's what KDESU provides you, is the flexibility to to run something visually on your desktop, but to run it as a different user, as long as you have that user's uh, credentials. I mean, you, you know, you could only run something as root because you know the root password. If you don't know that, then KDESU KDE is useless to run something as root. However, with KDESU-U, you can target a different, a different user. And so let's say there's a GORT on this same machine. So I could do KDESU-U GORT and then Dolphin or, or whatever application I needed to run, provide Gort's password, and now I'm looking at a, at a, at a file manager that belongs to, to the Gort user identity, or uh, user ID, not to CLAT2. That's, um, that's KDESU. It's a really useful application, and I think, I feel like before, before I knew about it, you know, there were times where I literally had to, I just, I didn't know what else to do, and I would have to log out of my user environment, log back in as root, do something, and then log back out, and then log back in. I don't even remember why I had to do that. I just remember distinctly doing it a long time ago. Um, it may have been before, but was it before I was familiar enough with the terminal to do the thing that I needed to do? I don't remember. Um, but whatever it was, uh, it was it was pretty ugly. You know, it's, it's not a fun experience to have to log out, log in, log out, log in. That's ridiculous. KDESU is the way to graphically do something in your within your desktop session as a different user. It's really useful. So, um, well, yeah, you know, and it's, it's it's particularly useful, I think, for giving instructions to someone when you know you need them to uh, do something, and, and they're not familiar with with the terminal. So, how do you tell them? Okay, well, I need you to drag this file into that folder for which you don't have permissions. Uh, I need you to do that. And, and then what? Well, get them to launch KDESU space Dolphin, and then they can take the file from, you know, wherever you've sent it to them. They can copy it, and then they can go to the, the magic folder that they don't have permission to. Let's say it's Etsy slash ACPI, because that was the first one in the list, and then right-click and paste no worries. It, it'll all happen because it's being done with root privileges. So sometimes that's the easier way to instruct people. And of course, because of KRunner, for instance, you can do that. You can just run KDESU space dolphin. And then the first selection is run KDESU dolphin. And that launches a prompt, a graphical prompt for the password. And then there's the, there's the window. Really, really nice app application. It's just, I think it's weirdly one of my favorite KDE applications because it just makes, it, it's it's a grown-up application, you know? Like, if you don't have that on your desktop environment, that's fine. 
but your desktop environment is definitely a very specific desktop environment for a very specific audience. KDESU or something like it is really kind of a necessity for a, for a desktop environment that's going to be used by lots of different types of users. I mean, I guess arguably you wouldn't even need KDESU. Instead, you would need the, 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 the constant awareness that certain, certain actions are not allowed. And so you need to be able to like circumvent that somehow. You need to prompt someone for permission. You need to prompt someone for, 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 uh, you know, the password and so on. And, that that doesn't tend to be something that I I think desktops really handle all that well. Um, and maybe that's on one hand a good thing. You know, you can't just right click on everything and just do the thing override all permissions. That that's kind of that would be maybe a little bit in the wrong direction. Um, that's why I leave things out. Like I don't have an automatic you know delete permanently entry in my context menu. I know it's possible. I could put that in there in Dolphin but I don't have it, I can move to trash, and that's it. That's the worst I can do, and I do that on purpose. So maybe having a right-click sort of like do this anyway button would be a really, really bad idea. But KDESU, really important workaround for the times that you know that you do need root permissions or, or permissions of some other user for which you normally don't have uh, access to. Um, KDESU makes that makes it possible, makes it easy. Well, I think that's it for this episode. So thank you very much for listening and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open
Mr. Homer Bush. 